On today's episode of the Art of Coaching podcast is Luke Worthington. And I have to admit, I love something that Luke did right off the bat that set the tone. Now, a little bit behind the scenes peek, right? Or peek behind the curtain of how we do the show. Of course, we ask any guests to provide some insight or their bio. Now, we do our due diligence, of course. We take a lot of interest into who we have on the show. But we also know that everybody has a specific way that they like to be introduced or at least some verbiage around that, right? That's common. That's It's just a respectful thing to do. And you'd be surprised, right? There's sometimes where people send a litany of information and we never read it off just cold because again, that's not personal. And that's not how we do things at Art of Coaching. But, you know, we try to pay it its due respect. And Luke just dramatically understated himself. Now, Admittedly, you're going to be listening in on a first-time conversation between me and Luke. We had never formally spoken before. We knew very little about one another. He had reached out in the past and just said, hey, I have a client coming your way potentially. I trust you with him. Uh, I've given him your information. And I've similarly reached out and told him that I appreciate the way that he speaks his stuff, especially because in a time where everybody upsells himself, he's very understated. So you're going to get a mix of what I know about Luke and, you know, what, what he says about himself. But simply put, guys, Luke Worthington is a personal trainer, sports scientist, and head trainer of education at Third Space. He is also a former athlete, and not just a former athlete, a former world record holder in endurance rowing and former Harlequins rugby player. And most importantly, what I appreciated about him is even though he's got a particular focus on the entertainment industry, he spends a lot of time educating and mentoring young trainers and really, again, doesn't allow himself to be defined by one thing. So some people may look at Luke and, and we'll talk about his background a little bit more and what he does in terms of being the on-screen expert for a network television series, shaping bodies of some of Hollywood's A-lists, but he never leans on any of that. And you'll see that in this episode. As a matter of fact, a lot of what we talk about, aside from just how to say no and create boundaries is this professional tension that we all have between where do we draw the line when somebody asks, uh, let, let's say you're on the, in the media or you're asking questions or you're giving a presentation, answering questions rather, and you have to find this line between being relatable and not dumbing things down. And that's so often asked of people like Luke. So again, Nike trainer, ex-professional athlete, all these things, but most importantly, just somebody who's real, relatable, and that's what we value and perhaps even covet on The Art of Coaching. So here's another great episode for you. Thanks for joining us. Without further ado, Luke Worthington. Welcome to The Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Before we jump in with Luke, I want to make sure 
that you know about everything we have coming up at The Art of Coaching. If you're somebody that just listens to the podcast, follows me on social media, you're likely only getting a tenth of what we really do at Art of Coaching. There are so many other free resources. There are live events, clinics, online courses. We do bespoke communication training. We have a mentoring program. We have so many different things. And those are always announced first on our newsletter. Now, I hate email. I talk about this all the time. And so the last thing I ever wanted to do was sign up for more emails. So we're very conscientious of that. We only send out a couple a month unless we have something really special going on. One email is is some raw thoughts and some things that I'm kind of stewing on at the moment. And another one is always a monthly roundup where we know you're busy. So we're always going to give you, you know, what you may have missed, everything in one easy digestible email. But it is the place where you're always going to learn about discounts or new courses we have coming out and when our mentoring programs open. So if you haven't done so yet, go to artofcoaching.com backslash begin. Again, that's artofcoaching.com backslash begin. I can't say it enough. It's very hard for me, admittedly, when people reach out on Instagram or social media and they, they want to know this and they want to know that. And those just aren't appropriate mediums for us to always be able to go in depth, right? We're not one of those companies that is going to put everything we know into some infographic that's just, you know, a very small percentage of our time is on social media. You guys here on the podcast and our newsletter folks and the students in our courses are the people we're really trying to double down on. So make sure you go to it, artofcoaching.com backslash begin. All right. Now let's learn more about Luke Worthington. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. I am here with Luke Worthington. What's going on, Luke? Uh, I'm good. Thanks, Brett. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm hanging in there. Uh, we're, uh, you know, London is sort of, so, so we're told is over the, over the peak of the lockdown period. So life has changed substantially in the last month. Um, some of it good, some of it not so good. Um, but yeah, hanging in there, um, making adjustments on a, on a daily basis. But yeah. how are things over there? Yeah, it's same as, as it should be. And, uh, and guys, for those of you listening, if you can't tell already, this is something we're recording again live in the midst of the coronavirus, right? So we are recording this in April, towards the end of April. So whether you're listening to this in August of 2020 or whether you're listening to this in March of 2026, you know, one thing we wanted to do and to help you frame the conversations in this episode is create a lot of content during this time to provide a time capsule because we're all going to go through chaotic circumstances again within our lives. Um, hopefully it's not coronavirus related, but it'll certainly be something. <laughs> yeah. And so we want to give you episodes to refer back to. So anything we talk about, again, depending on when you're listening to this, just know it is time-capsuled coronavirus 2020. So, yeah, Luke, my audience has heard me mention enough of, of what we're going through and everything. And and so we want to focus on you, man, but it's adaptability, like you said. And uh, when we first got on to do sound check, you know, you had mentioned there's three strands to what you do. Now, I talked about your bio in the beginning, and we'll dive more deeply mm-hmm. into that. But you mentioned the education CPD side your private client work, and then media stuff and requests. If you don't mind, I want to start with the media stuff and requests because it is predominant right now of everybody reaching out saying, hey, will you do a Zoom? Will you do this? Will you do that? Man, how do you manage that? And how do you view this bombardment of requests? Uh, You know, because it can get overwhelming, can it not? Um, It it can, yeah. I mean, what I, I've got a a quite, quite a clear message that I want to convey. Um, So what I make sure is that if anything, any inbound request that comes through like that has got to, has got to tick that box basically. Mm. And if it doesn't, then, then it's, it's a no, even though right now I might have more bandwidth 
to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, it's I'm, I'm still very selective about what particular media channel it is, what its particular values are, what the values of the you know, the medium is, as well as the values of the person that's that's kind of curating the content. Um, so, so it's not just so I'm not just like a lone voice um, in like a you know in a, in a bit of a wilderness amongst amongst many others. So it's um, I, I try and continually. Uh, just keep my keep my focus on what what my underlying message is, which is essentially making quality health and fitness training information available on a on a to the to, uh, to like a broad audience I mean, to a, to a very wide audience, as opposed to keeping it in that sort of niche specialists elite sports type environment. So I, I see that as my role is to kind of uh, translate and interpret that information and distribute it in a in a user-friendly way. So if, a, if the particular media interview or content request fits that, then I'm, I'm on board as long as it's a reputable channel. Uh, if it's not, then, then I'm not. Right. Which I mean, see, I would imagine can be, how do I want to frame this? I imagine it can be more difficult. Well, one talking about being selective, I, I'd sure like to hear kind of your metrics and the hurdles that you you think are critical. And I know you said it's the values of the outlet and the individual, but if you wouldn't mind going deeper than that, but uh, also just given the audience frame of reference, guys, like you have trained everybody from world champions in the uh, indoor hurdles to Idris Elba, you know, you've trained Hollywood's elite, but also a lot of people that have, you know, accomplished tremendous athletic feats. Now it's pretty common in our field for everybody to say, I've trained Olympians and this and that. I mean, somebody could even probably take a swing, uh, at my resume saying, well, hey, dude, you said you did. It. Well, yeah, because I've done it, right? A lot of people saw yeah. me do it. And similar with you. So when you're trying to provide high quality information, yet you have this unique cadre of, of, of clients that I'm sure people just say, hey, tell us this stuff you did to get Idris jacked, you know, uh, and Idris, sorry if my pronunciation is incorrect, <laughs> right? But like, Looking at this, people expect you to give a lot of the same celebrity fluff the rest of the world gives, and you've got to hold true to your values. So talk to us about being selective and how you stand for those kind of virtues without kind of giving in or submitting. Uh, yeah, well, with, when it's something like that, when it's something to do with how does X individual, whoever it may be, someone in the public eye or an athlete or, or whoever, um, to be honest, it's a, they tend to be a no-go zone for me. I love um, it. I, yeah, that it's, that's, I'm smart. I, I have quite a, a simple filter with things like that. Like in that if people I work with talking about me has substantially more value than me talking about them, you yep. know, they're, they're the ones with the profile. They're the ones that are out there in the public eye. I'm not. Um, so if they choose to share that and open the doors on a little part, you know, they're, they're training their health and fitness is one part of their overall life and livelihood and wellness. Um, if they choose to open the doors on that slightly private part of their life, then that's, that's up to them. Um, that's, that's not up to me and that's not a decision I make. So even with some, you know, some very high profile, uh, media outlets, that's always been a flat no for me. Um, and I, you know, and I, I do get asked that reasonably frequently, but yeah, that's, that tends to be no go zone. So that's a straight up filter. Yeah. Um, you know, it will never be the, uh, you know, come and do the whoever workout. It's it's more. <laughs> you know, I can talk to you about training. I can talk to you about why you know uh, why a woman in the fashion industry, why a supermodel should deadlift. I can talk to you about that. I can talk, but I'm not going to give you the 
you know, the person workout because that's, that's, that's not what we're about. Yeah. And it can be common. I mean, it's tough. I remember even when I worked with a previous employer and we were training a lot of UFC athletes, it was like, people want that, don't they? They want, what's the yeah. UFC workout? What's the NFL off season workout? And you just feel like, yeah. you know, at the time I had to do that. It's just a contractual thing, but you're like, guys, there is no, this is the end of one size fits all stuff here. Come on, you know, let's think deeper. Yeah. And so within that, right, you mentioned that there are common factors of success between elite sportsmen, A-list actors, corporate CEOs. And I would imagine being selective and maintaining privacy is one of those. Uh, but I, I, uh, yeah, I'd like to have that yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's I think that's a respect thing. And I think that comes down to the role that if you're somebody's trainer, you play a much more significant role in their life than you know a supervised workout, or you certainly should do. Um, so it's having respect for the boundaries around that role. Um, you know, if, if people live their lives in, in a, in a very, very public way, then they become very protective of the parts that are less public. And quite often, you know, the amount of time that they can dedicate to themselves in that sort of self care category becomes less and less and less. Um, so that's, that's tends to be quite a common theme of, uh, you know, across the board, um, you're doing doing this job, I think, is is a is a real privilege, and that it gives you just a little insight into the life of lots and lots of different people. Um, and if they're people that are coming to you for you know, for private client work, or or you know, a production company, or someone has engaged you to to do private client work for somebody, um, there's a fair chance that they're going to be someone that's at the top of their game, whether that's in the modeling industry, or whether that's you know, in, in music, or business or, or whatever. Um, but that's kind of, it, I, I've just come to observe really there's the, the real commonalities that occur um, right across the board, which, and, and one of them is integrity. That's, it, it's, it's something that, that has really struck a chord with me um, is that, you know, you have somebody that on the outside might have this reputation of being, you know, a total fashion diva or the cutthroat businessman. But actually, their integrity and their authenticity is absolute. Um, you know, and they whatever they say they're going to do, they do. Whatever time they say they're going to be there, that's when they're there. Um, and those kind of common strands that are, that I'm I'm sort of picking up from people in vastly different, like could not be more different walks of life, but they share these common traits. Um, and I, I find that fascinating from from my side. And I think that therefore. If, if I am also a commonality between these people, I have a duty to respect that as well, you know, and to, to also behave with the same level of integrity and do what I say I'm going to do and be where I say I'm going to be and at the time I say I'm going to be there um, and then respect their boundaries also. Yeah, well, and that's why I wanted to start with the media requests, having, yeah. having respect for boundaries. And it's something we've talked about in other episodes, but our audience – who again is a mix of, of people in a wide variety of vocations talk about it often. And, and typically what they say is, you know, listen, I just, I, I find it hard to provide or give boundaries for their own work. Cause they, they just say, yes, they feel guilt. They feel, but you had a, you had a quote, I think it was a post back in October of 2019. I can't remember the exact date, but it was one of the things that made me really connect with what you said, where you said, no one's success comes at the expense of your own. And at what level does it not putting up some level of boundaries start to erode our own chances of success, even if we're trying to be helpful to others? 
Uh, how, how, how do you mean in terms of the people that you're working so with? So, for example, people- I'll give you a case study, yeah. right? And this is a direct yeah. this is a direct DM from somebody. Hi, Brett. Uh-huh. Love your podcast, especially when it comes to uh, being able to dictate boundaries. The issue is I have the issue I have is this: while I want to help others achieve success, whether that's personal or professional, I often find that I am inundated with requests that take away from my time to build my own platform or what I'm trying to do. I really want to help people, but the more I continue to get on 30-minute Zoom calls or check my DMs, the less I have a chance to really build something that can help on a scalable uh, uh, platform. And I know I went through this. So the context being when you said no one's success comes at the expense of your own, sometimes – like I thought that fit wonderfully of saying, hey – we all want other people to be successful, but just like these A-listers yeah. and high-level people have to have boundaries so they can do the, the hard work, the life-changing work. How do you walk that line of giving your time while also not letting it be cannibalized by those requests? Does that make more sense, Luke? Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, I get what you mean now. Um, uh, sure. Okay. Well, I can actually I – mean, I can hold my hands up and say that I've, I've absolutely been, <laughs> been in the position where – um, where your time has been completely cannibalized and lost control of it. Um, that happened to me, you know, a couple of years ago, really, when, you know, lots of requests for work were coming through. And I was probably at the stage of career and life of thinking like, shit, this is taken off. Like, this is, this is fantastic. Like, but it, it might not be around forever. And so feeling this sort of, um, sort of pressure and almost obligation to say, well, look, I've got to say yes to this because, next year next year these people might not want me i might not they you know i might not not be of equivalent value to whoever or to whatever production or like this is this is my moment in the sun i've got to i've got to grab it um and there's i think there's there's certainly some there's some mileage in that in in that you know that make hey while the sunshine's expression is there for a reason um but i probably stayed in that that sort of mindset for a little bit too long um, it wasn't a case of just simply grasping opportunities because they're there for a limited amount of time. I was grasping them, grasping them, grasping them. And actually it took a real, um, you know, just a, a, a real moment of me thinking, man, like I, I, I need to carve out some time. Um, and that was, that was probably a couple of years ago. Well, what was that moment? You know, I, I know what that was for me. Like if I can lead with vulnerability here to maybe help you, but like, sure. I, I know the moment for me, and this goes to something somebody asked me the other day, in our podcast community, they said, Hey, what, what was the biggest time or money waster when you first went out on your own? Now that's a relative term, right? I'm not saying the example I gave here was a waste of time, but I had to put boundaries around it. So what I said to him is I said, frankly, this, I had to know where my true audience was. Meaning I literally used to answer almost every DM I got because you want to serve your audience. But then what I realized is I kept answering the same questions over and over. Even if I use Instagram, you know, I said, ask me a question. It was always the same thing. So I thought, all right, you know, I'll handle this by doing a YouTube video on it, a podcast on it, you know, something on it. But then I realized that a lot of times that social media audience never looked at those things, or if they did, it (laughs) wasn't as much as the people on my newsletter, the people who bought our courses or what have you. So what I started to do is I learned that I said, just, I had to put barriers on social media. I only check DMS once or twice a week now. Um, I, you know, I don't go down rabbit holes of trying to solve everybody's problems on that platform. I do try to guide them to our other stuff. Now you get called out cause somebody will say, Oh, you're just trying to, you know, get us on your newsletter or you're trying to, and it's like, well, yeah, like you're asking for, for advice. I would, I would expect that maybe you think my service is valuable. 
why would I not invite you into my community? You know what I mean? I, if again, if I go into a restaurant and I'm trying to solve the problem of being hungry and they ask me to pay them or, you know, get on their newsletter. for <laughs> Well, I'm going to go back to that restaurant. So why would I not do that? So that's an yeah. example of like where I had to create boundaries of like knowing where to spend my time. I'd love to hear some of yours. Uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't too dissimilar, but rather than a case of um, you know responding to emails and DMs and all and all the rest of it, it was more a case of you know, and I think probably every personal trainer, strength coach, anyone in the, in that kind of service industry will will have experienced something similar to this at some point, where essentially we're selling blocks of our time. You know, you're selling a little piece of your life <laughs> to put it put it that way in you know in one it's hour. True, blocks. it's a hundred percent true. And there's only there's only so many of those that you actually have, um, and that was the it was it was a real just almost like a light bulb moment of me waking up one day and just thinking, man, I don't know how much more of this I can I, I don't have any more of this that I can physically give away. Yeah. And that started a train of thought of me thinking, actually, how much more do I want to give away? Um, you know, I'm this is my this is my fortieth year, so you know, I'm I'm also I started to think a little bit more longer term and thinking that this needs to be in some way, needs to be in some way scalable. Um, you know, the, rather than have, rather than take the kind of um, inbound media message query and, and, and try and scale that, I was trying to, I, I was thinking more to scale um, my time and, and thinking, well, rather than me just spend X number of units of one hour with a particular or a, you know, multiple different people across a week, is there such a way that I can convey the same message to a to a, a broad audience at the same time? Mm. Um, and that's really where my I took that decision to split what I do into those three strands. Um, so being the you know, the educational workshop seminar type CPD stuff, um, continuing to do the private client work because you know, one I love it, and two I think you 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 can't really talk with authenticity about how to work with people and how to train people, how to work with clients. If you don't do it um, and you don't continue to do it, um, that's just my, it's my personal belief. I know some people are solely educators. Um, that's, that's, that's just not for me. Um, and then the, the media work was a case of uh, really what I was trying to do with that was um, move, like move the sail and the wind. If you like, um, you know, if you, if I'm trying to say, well, I have a message that I want to convey to the to the uh, professional community, to the to the, the the fitness expert, the fitness deliverer, um, that I want uh, to convey knowledge and experience that I have, and I want to improve standards, and I want people to do certain things because I think that's the right thing to do. Um, what is going to incentivize them to do that? And my thought process was the only thing that's going to incentivize you know, the trainer, the professional to do that is if their client, their, you know, their livelihood, their person wants them to. And the only way that person is going to want them to is if they also have information. So I, I realized very, very quickly that I needed to do two things, really. I needed to talk to the professional um, and in terms of being a source of, a source of expertise, a source of, a source of information, but then I also needed to talk to the to their audience. I needed to talk to their customer. So I needed to talk to like the mass market and the consumer to create the demand for higher quality within the industry. So as I, said, I was trying to move the sail and the wind. And that was why I kind of thought, well, I've got to go both ways. 
Um, and it was, um, it was a very, very rapid process of me just being like, um, I guess an, an executor of delivering sessions to me thinking, no, I need to do more than this, but I need to do two very different things, um, and talk to the professional and talk to the, and talk to the consumer. Um, and it's a, I, it's a difficult thing, um, because it's two very different languages that you have to speak. Um, you have to be able to speak you know, technically and with authenticity to, to a, a professional uh, in a language that they, will, that they understand and a language that they will respect and continue to demonstrate why you feel you have the right to tell them, you know, to, to continue to demonstrate that you feel that your methods work and demonstrate with case study and experience and things that you've done um, to, to kind of back up what you're, what you're doing. Um, to talk to the consumer, you have to go kind of the other way. You have to make things very easy and simple and engaging. And into and I mean, I don't like using the phrase dumbed down, but in the some senses, you kind of have to, in that you you have to rationalize in your own head that okay, I'm talking to you know a network TV audience of multiple millions of people. They haven't got a clue what biomechanical term I want to convey. So how else can I convey it? Even though I might not be conveying the absolute message that I want, am I getting good enough? Am I getting close enough? Am I just getting some attention to, to encourage people to, to pay some respect and, and some, you know, some of their attention to the issue I want them to? Um, so it was a very rapid change for me of thinking, I can't just keep you know, allocating one hour blocks of my life until I die. <laughs> you know, I want to, I want to do more than that. Um, I want to actually affect change within an industry that's been a huge part of my life for essentially my entire life. Um, and the only way I thought I could do that was to try and was to try and sort of diversify and become scalable. And and so so talk to talk to the industry, but then also talk to their customers. Um, and I still find it a challenge, like to to this day. You know, right now because of the way the world is in the middle of uh, in the middle of coronavirus lockdown some of those decisions are taken out of my hands and some of the things that i i'm i'm being forced to focus on particular areas over others because they're all that's available but when we're out the other side of that i i see that challenge is still being there um, and that's this kind of trying to keep those those multiple plates spinning you know that can i be a voice of authority in the industry can i be an accessible um figure to the consumer who who is relatable and and can encourage and educate the consumer and can i also maintain my authenticity and my integrity by still continuing to serve my clients um so it's you know i i wear three hats and i constantly try and not drop any of them yeah well and you mentioned one i appreciate the metaphor and the analogy of the ship and the sails and the wind and and talking about that and then clarifying that in many different ways now you use a lot of terms there of authenticity speaking to them finding the right voice not dumbing things down what have you i want to get really granular here on a moment staying sure. on that yeah. course of thought because there's going to be somebody listening that is nodding their head and they're like I hear you, but I have no idea how to even develop my own voice. And I know that's something we got in our podcast community quite a bit because we keep track of questions. Mm -hmm. Coaches or business owners, I mean, two in the same leaders have said, how do you develop your voice as a coach, as a leader? 
Um, I, you know, I think we know the traditional advice of be introspective, you know, really think about what your core values are. I mean, I think those are, those are easy and obvious answers. Is there any other advice? Because you do have to wear all these hats, but before you put them on, you got to know your voice. So you can speak. How, How did you, what was that process like of you really finding your voice in the field and in the industry, keeping a young coach, trainer, or leader in mind when describing it? Um, it was, I mean, there was, there was an actual physical process. Um, I spent a day, um, and I just wrote down all of the different things that I thought were important, um, you know, to, to me as a human being, um, to me as a professional, um, and the the things that I thought were important to the, to the industry, you know, to the industry that I wanted to serve. Um, and I, I got to, I don't know, maybe like a hundred, um, and then, I went through this exercise of uh, cutting it down by half. So let's say I had, you know, a hundred words written down on a, on a huge sheet of paper. I, I, I made myself cross out 50. Then when I got down to 50, I had to cross out 25. And this was, this was like a, this was a real tough thing to do. And it, it was an exercise that I'd read about, in, you know, a, a long, long time ago. And I thought, yeah, whatever, maybe, maybe that's worth doing. Maybe it's not. And I actually had the time to do it. And, and, and so I did. Um, you know, and eventually I kept going and right the way down until you understand what are your real core values um, and you and getting it down to like three, four things. Um, and then that, I mean, it's a tough process. When you're down to like 10 and you're having to cross things off that you think, I actually really give a shit about that, but it's got it, but something's got to go. You know, if I really want to distill this down to, you know, three words, four words, five values, whatever it may be, like they're, they're real tough decisions. And what starts as being, relatively straightforward if you struggling to think of 100 words um so your your first draft of crossing things out is really is really easy when it comes down to the end it's tough um so i think you know that was the exercise i did and got me to understand this is actually this is what's important to me um and they they were authenticity integrity honesty um i said if if i can um and if i can convey what i believe is my expertise with that um then I can sleep well at night. And, and if people want to, if people engage with it, fantastic. If they don't engage with it, what I'm not going to do is try and change my voice message, things that I do and try and mold it into something I think people want to hear. Um, because that's when you, I, the whole thing becomes pointless. Um, so it was, that was the actual, that was the actual process. There was a physical process that I, that I went through um, in terms of the, in terms of the, you mentioned in introspection. Um, there was an introspective process as well, and that trying to excavate that stuff out of my brain um, was quite. It was quite. It was. It was quite an emotional thing as well, because you know you get you get down to it, and you think, okay, is that what you know, is that what I want to be known for? And if the answer is, you know, and I, you know, I, I thought to myself, if I wanted, it, it was, you know, it's a cliche. If, if you want something read out at your funeral are they the words that you want to them to do you want to be read out? And I thought actually, yeah, if that's, if yeah, that time will come at some point, hopefully, hopefully not soon. Um, but when that time comes, if, how would I feel if they were the things that were, that, that, that were written down, read out, I thought, actually, that is what, that is what I would want to be known for. So that is what I'm going to make sure I stand for. Um, and then anything that's not that I will not stand for. Yeah, if I'm hearing you correctly, essentially what you're saying is 
when conveying information, it's a fine line between trying to always be relatable and dumbing things down. And it also depends on who's drawing that line, you know? So essentially don't forget your audience. Don't forget that context matters. And most importantly, don't over obsess about trying to please everybody when making a clear point. Is that fairly accurate? Um, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and if I give, I mean, if I give an example, Please. um, so I, I mean, one of the media things that I do is I have in, if anyone's listening to this in the UK, they might know it. It's an ITV, um, it's a main network television series here in the U S you almost certainly won't know it. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a television series where, uh, the concept was we took a, a team of retired professional football players, so professional soccer players, and they were the retired England team. So they were all kind of, they'd all go on to do other things. They're out of the game for 10 years. So they'd all, they all had kids, they'd be married, they were just playing golf. They're just sort of, you know, enjoying their lives. Um, and the, the the purpose of the, the television series was to bring these guys back together. And could they, you know, they, we had 12 weeks, so three months basically, could they get back together to play one last game for England against the old enemy Germany? And that was, you know, so it was a, it was a, a get fit reality TV show, but the authentic part of it was these guys were in their day were world-class athletes. Um, so they, they, you know, they gave a shit and it was a real tangible goal of they've got to play and win a football match against the people who beat them in the world cup. So there was a real, you know, there was a purpose for it. It wasn't, you know, a celebrity that camp it was right. no this is this is this, there's a real purpose to this and that was and you know kind of going going back a loop that was why i was willing to do it because i saw that as being a way to demonstrate authentic expertise of either dealing with elite sports people and also you know high profile people on an on a very high profile stage that's a main major network television show um but doing it in a way that that will be relatable um, because it is a major network television show. So you know, talking high-level biomechanics and sports science and physiology on there is just, there's just no point. That may be what I'm doing, but it's how do we convey that in such a way that, you know, the the family sitting down to watch it on a Saturday evening understand what's happening and think, and the, the producers of the show used a term um, health by stealth. Um, so actually we want to convey usable and useful information and material um but just sort of sneaking it in there this is going to be a fun entertaining uh television show it's going to be fun it's going to be emotional there's going to be a lot of nostalgia because these are guys that people remember from 10 years ago what happens now and all of that stuff but we want the goal to be somebody watches that and thinks well hang on i'm 48 years old and maybe i'm a little heavier and not quite in the shape that i once was if he can do it so can i and so that was the, the you, we had to make an entertaining television show that would get ratings and keep advertisers happy and all of that stuff. But also there had to be a, it, it had to land. And it's, and that was why I wanted to do it because this is conveying a message on such a grand scale that I could never reach through any other means, you know, through social media, whatever, writing an article, writing a blog, writing something in a newspaper. Like you're just not going to reach this, <laughs> that level of people that, you know, a, a major network television series is going to reach. Um, where that balance is struck is I wrote something that sat alongside that. Um, and it was something to do with, it was like one of the guys that had like, like back pain issues. Um, and I wrote something that 
about what we did and what we integrated into his training to manage that. And and it was it was just to kind of yeah, the guy was he he was a he was fifty years old, he had a couple of kids. He's like these days you probably drink a little bit too much. He, he just he was on the golf course doing nothing else, made a ton of money, and he but he'd been retired since he was thirty two years old. Um, he had some issues that were that were relatively complex biomechanical issues that were causing him some back pain. I talked about how we addressed that in an interview around the series, but talked about it in very two-dimensional, simple terms that would that I, I thought would land with an average middle-aged guy who's watching the show who thinks, well, that could be me. I've got a bit of a sore back. It hurts when I play golf. Is the stuff that I could do to help or is the stuff that I should be paying attention to? And I remember at the time, I got absolutely rinsed by people in the professional community, so strength and conditioning coaches, people who I loosely knew, some of them, um, for not being accurate about what I was talking about. And I got the you know emails, DMs, the works saying like, oh, but it's not as simple as that, but posture doesn't create that, but you, you know, this is a three-dimensional problem and you've talked about it in two-dimensional terms. And it was like, I know, <laughs> I, I, I know. But if I start talking that language to this audience through this medium, they're not gonna. They don't understand it. They don't give a shit. They want to. They they want to quickly think. Okay, this person is my age. He's got a lifestyle similar to mine now, even though he's got a ton of money because he's an ex superstar athlete. But I kind of feel a bit like that. Um, maybe I should go to the gym and get strong. That was it, that was the end of the that was the end of the message. The intent is that they go to the gym because they want to get strong because they've also got a sore back and they then engage with an expert who then starts to put some detail around it and create something for them and then they're on their journey. Uh, but my role in their journey was the that first step was you can do something about this, go and engage with a fitness professional. That was That was my role. My role wasn't the let's create the bespoke program for you know this particular 48-year-old guy in – this particular small town. Um, and that has, that's this sort of, that's this balancing act. And it does leave when it does, I feel sometimes leave me exposed when I do that kind of talking in very general terms um, with that audience in mind. Um, you know, I get, I, I still now I, I get nailed by the kind of the, the professional community. Um, but that's you know I, I guess I guess that's something we just got to take. Yeah, I mean, um, well, listen, that's yeah. the, that's the nature of the skin in the game. I mean, the whole reason I keep yeah. I tell people the whole reason I keep Twitter is because there's people that like to try to misquote me, and so I have to kind of use that as a way to look at that. I mean, I had a situation where one time I presented on a topic, and you know I had the references in the bottom of the right hand slides and what have you, and um, somebody had taken a picture of one of my presentation slides, posted it up. Well, they didn't capture the whole slide. And so I woke up the next day and uh, all of a sudden, like I was bombarded by some guy uh, who thought he was like, that's my, you know, I put, uh, this was my study you referenced there and there's no citation that's plagiarizing. And so I woke up and I'm like, what in the world? Cause this was like a thing. People were like jumping on it. So <laughs> right. I went and got the printed uh, book that was given away uh, to all the participants. And it of course had the full slides and I took a picture of it, you know, which clearly showed the attribution at the bottom. And I said, while I'm really flattered, everybody's very concerned um, about, you know, what I'm doing and what I'm saying. Here's a picture in context of the entire slide. Any questions, let me know. 
And uh, yeah. it, it was just very unique, you know, and it got to the point where on all my talks, because it's impossible when you're when you're asked to give a quote or this and, and you don't always get to change it or somebody asked me to talk about human behavior and they usually say, hey, can you talk about conscious coaching or this and that? And then they give you 60 minutes. What I've started doing now is I just put a slide up at the beginning that says, hey, this is a snapshot. Um, I, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I am not skilled enough to put eight, 10 years of work, my doctoral work, everything I've ever created in 60 minutes. So if you have questions, assume, don't ask. I'm not a guru. Like I have to put up a disclaimer. Like I'm some kind of toy, you know, that comes with child (laughs) wrapping. And you know what, what I've learned, Luke, is it says more about the audience that we have to, these people that think they're in, you know, intelligent or self-righteous or morally virtuous or whatever. It says more about them and their inability to look at things in context, which is a measure, frankly, of their intelligence, their wisdom, than it does the people up there. Sure, it is one thing if you're up there and you are just, you're shouting off statistics. Like, let's say somebody made something up, like, uh, you know, increasing your deadlift can decrease back pain by 452%, right? If you say something like that and you don't have a attribution, you're an idiot. But if somebody yeah. like, I, you know, I'm sitting here, and somebody's like, hey, you say that communication's critical in, in business and life. I'm like, really, dude? That's the one that I need to cite for you? Um, or, you know, <laughs> yeah. if I have that, yeah. you know, uh, uh, power or expression of, of force is enhanced by, you know, your ability to get off the ground quickly. Oh, sure. Like, I'll, I'll quote that or I'll put an attribution there, but I'm not putting 30. And so yeah. because th- that's how you can tell some people it's about them. I've gone and seen some people present where it's not enough for them to put one or two attributions on a slide. They got to put 10. And I'm like, really? Like, dude, all you said is getting stronger enhances performance. Like we, is this for you or is it for you? Right. (laughs) And so the, the, where I'm going with this is we do uh, a segment. It's relatively new on the podcast called shades of gray, where I give a quote and you know, you, you or me, both of us, if you want talk about in one instance or context where we agree with that quote, where it's accurate and then one instance where that quote may be inaccurate, just to show that there's two sides to every coin. Are you with me on that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. so you ready yeah. for the quote? These are quotes yeah. that I find randomly online. Are you ready for it? Yeah, go for it. Go. All right. <laughs> and, and I'll repeat it. Quality <laughs> is determined by accuracy and completeness. I'll read it one more time. Quality is determined by accuracy and completeness. You're up first. Uh, with my agree or with my disagree? You can choose. Just tell the audience which one you're going to start with. Yep. Um, We're going to do both. I'll start. I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll well, we'll start with. Yeah, we'll, we'll start. We'll start with the agree. I, I would say that was that was, would be my. I would agree when in a process where you are quoting somebody else. Mm, um, yep. I think if if I'm you know if I'm quoting you for example, and I just take a few words out of a sentence and put them completely out of context, I can make you sound like a complete asshole. Right. Or I can give the entire sentence and the context that it was within um, and the timeliness that it was within, and then your true message then gets conveyed. So I think if you're, yeah, it, if if you're quoting somebody, it's that's absolutely, that's absolutely right. Yep. Um, uh, coming back to, actually coming back to the point I was, I was, I was just making to do with this, um, you know this this particular example. Um, I think that is that becomes less important um, if you know I'm trying to encourage a sedentary, overweight, very unhealthy person to undergo an exercise program. You know, I just need them to move more. 
Like, I don't particularly give a shit whether he plays golf or whether he takes up basketball or whether he goes on the Stairmaster. I, I don't care. I just need, right now, I just need you to do something. Um, and let's deal with the what, hows, and the why fours at a later date. But right now, I just need you to do something. So you can follow my instructions to the letter or not. But right now, let's just start by getting you to do something that you're actually just going to do on a consistent basis. Yep. I think that's wonderfully explained. To give my take, I would say it's accurate when drafting uh, like a legal document, right? We know we need to be we need to be very complete and all those things in terms of the verbiage. Legal documents are, are huge on that. Uh, where I would disagree yeah. is, is along the lines of what we already talked about. So, for example, if I have an athlete that, you know, wants to talk about, oh, this is burning or lactic acid, I'm not really going to give them an education session on hydrogen ions and the reality of lactate buffering and how we can actually convert that into a form of usable energy. One, I've done that, and I looked like an asshole, you know, because he was just like, dude, uh, I, I, did, I did not care. You know, every now and then you'll find somebody that's interesting, but are interested, but I don't sit here and try to, like, correct people if they want to use the term lactic acid if it's not in our field or out of a scientific context. All right, here's another one for you, and this is going – this is, I'm, I'm warning you, Luke, you're going to get some people right. that are, they're going to come at us both. Cause I'm, we're taking on a quote from none other than Yoda. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Do, <laughs> right. do or do not. There is no try. Do or do not. There is no try. Am I up first? Uh, yeah. Either you're, Hey, you're the guest. Yeah. You want me to go first? Yeah. Uh, no, I'll, I'll go. Okay. okay. Go ahead. Um, uh, Okay, so I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with disagree. Please. Um, yeah. If uh, and again, if I'm if I'm gonna relate this to to general health, sure. Um, then there absolutely there is a try. You know, I'm a I'm a believer in you know goal setting. Set it high and then let's try. All right. So there there absolutely is a try. If I want you know I want this particular person just to get a little bit healthier, let's let's just let's just give it a shot. Um, so I'm I'm gonna be less. Um, I'm going to be less pernickety with Mr. Sedentary. I just need to get you moving. Um, and so you feel a little bit better about life. I'm going to be much more forgiving with this guy than I am with Premier League football player where we're looking for the 1%. Um, when, when I'm looking for the, you know, and I'll, I'll flip that. If I'm looking with for the 1% with one of my elite athlete clients, then it is, there is no try. It's like, you're doing this. Like, this is, this is, this was the goal of the workout, of the session, of the rep, and we're doing it. Um, and so I think that's a kind of, you, you know, you, you kind of agree or you disagree with Yoda. Um, it's, a, it's a contextual thing. Um, you know, I, I, I'm very forgiving with, you know, and I, I do work with, with some people who are just, they're just out of shape. They just need to do something. Um, and I will appreciate the effort and the intent um, much more than the the goal and the outcome. Um, if I'm talking elite sports, it's like not nah, like we want the one percent. Yeah, no, that's great. I think that's I think that's perfect. Um, I agree with you. Do or do not. There is no try. Uh, Why? Well, I, I think that's bull crap. I had to, we don't have to edit ourselves here, but I just did because I think I'm used to being around the baby now. Um, we, <laughs> right. we, we only learn because we try. You know what I mean? So, uh, like, yeah. I can't learn something unless I've tried it because I don't have firsthand experience with it. You know, I look at my history boxing. I can sit here and think that I'm good because I hit the heavy bag, the double end bag, all those things. 
but it wasn't really until I got my, you know, knocked on my ass or hitting my solar plexus once where I was like, I was trying to defend myself, but I left myself open. <laughs> yeah. Then I learned, yeah. right? Some so, that it hits back. Yeah. Right. So now, now because I learned that I can do more effectively, uh, because I had done before and I tried and I, and I failed. So of course we have to try now. Um, like you said, where, where I would agree, do or do not do, there is no try. In context, we know that Yoda is talking about overcoming inertia, overcoming complacency, overcoming this lack of just kinetics of you being able to put something in motion. And, and this speaks to people's fear, right? It speaks to fear of failure. So I, I agree in context when we're talking about overcoming personal or professional inertia and feelings of self-doubt. Um, I do not agree in the context of how we actually learn or in code. And, and just to stay true to what we're saying, guys, context is defined as the situation, setting, and circumstances in which an event or communication occurs. And I have this citation for that if you smart asses want it. It's in the, <laughs> you know, so yeah, I mean, but like, I think that all speaks wonderfully to what you've mentioned, Luke. And the point is to get everybody to loosen up, have fun, relax a little bit because so much of finding your voice. And I would imagine these people that you work with, the A listers, let's call them, Context is everything in their life. They can't be defined by one role. They can't be defined by one business venture. They can't be defined by one thing, right? Like these people have to shape shift all day. Do they not? Yeah, they do. And and it's um, you know, and that's that that's part of it's part of the fascinating part of you know, I, I kind of fell into doing that a little bit by by accident, really. Um, but loved it. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge huge movie fan. Um, so you know, I I I love it, and I you know, I, I love see him behind the curtain as it, as it were, you know, quite literally. Um, but I've, I found it fascinating. It's like, here's a Jedi, here's a Jedi right in front of me, but he's not a Jedi right now. Like he's dealing with the fact that his daughter's got to take exams and she hasn't got time. And he's, he's up late because he's got to working on another thing. And, and, you know, and at the same time, how are we going to fix his deadlift? <laughs> you know, that's yeah. kind of, I, I, I find that, I, I find that abs- absolutely fascinating. Um, but you know how they, you know, partition up that you know they they can quite literally become somebody else, and then behind the curtain, it's here I am, and I'm just a guy, and I'm just a you know a guy dealing with the same stuff that every other guy is, and yeah, help me out here. I need to you know I want to lose some weight. Yeah, well, and jumping onto that point, you know, just a guy dealing with the same stuff everybody else is. Another thing we do, if you're open to it, and feel free to say no if you'd like. I mean, this is, guys, this is Luke and I's first real discussion, so you're along for the journey. Um, you know, another important topic that we get, and this can be tough, I would think, for A-listers, but also people like you and me, even if we're in this field and many people listening, is, you know, making sure that we address our own Maslow's hierarchy of needs, taking care of ourselves. We have a culture in either fitness or strength and conditioning where almost unlike any other, right? Like, of course there's business where you have to, some people will compare suits and this and that, but like we quote unquote, wear our uniform daily. So there can be a lot of pressure that, Oh, if you're a strength coach, you've got to still be able to clean deadlift and squat this amount. If you're a fitness professional, you've got to look the part to this extent. Now, of course we know there are relative truths there. Um, I don't care what anybody says. It can get alarming. If you know, my mother called me the other day and she says, I'm a new cardiologist And she goes, I feel like a bad person. And I go, why? And she goes, well, he's heavily overweight. And like, he just looks, it's not that he's overweight, not just like the somatotype of the physical appearance. She's like, he looks hypertensive. His face is red. And she's like, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude. And I'm like, mom, I get it. Like it's instinctive. We do judge books Mm -hmm. by our cover. 
But, man, it, it can also get hard. I think people have this uh, belief that for people like you or me, it's easy. My neighbors think, oh, you don't have a problem working out. You don't have this. Can you talk about if you've had them? I don't know if you do, so this isn't a leading question. But do you ever struggle with taking care of yourself as good as you as you should? Uh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say it's my number one character flaw that I'm continually working on. Um, I've got better at it, um, but it's not a it's by no means to the point where I would like it to be. Um, in and, what way, you know, if you don't mind me asking? Um, in, in terms of, well, in, in terms of exactly that. Um, yeah, there's, there's an expression that, that you know, there's a gym I worked at a long time ago where you know, someone used the expression of, oh, the carpenter's door is always broken. And, <laughs> and we used to say it to each other as a, as just as a bit of a joke. And, and, but over time, when the carpenter's door has been broken for, you know, 10 years, thinking, shit, that's true. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, maybe it's time to do something about that and maybe time to, to kind of take some of my own advice. Um, so I've become better at carving out time to make sure that I do the things that I make sure other people do. Um, but it's a, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing fight. Um, and so there are only, there is, there is only so much time that we, that we all have. And we, that's one thing that none of us are gonna, ever going to get any more of, you know, time's going at the same rate for every, every, every single one of us. Um, but just making sure I carve out parts of that, that are, that is my self care time, you know, to, to use a, to use a cliche, but I know, I know, and I'm aware that, you know, me maintaining my strength, my mobility is, is good for my health. I know that it's good for my mental wellbeing. Um, I'm a better person. I'm a nicer person to be around when I, when I do that, because I just feel like me, um, when I don't do that, um, when I'm kind of eating into that time, uh, I'm not as nice a person to be around if I'm, if I'm completely honest, because I start to become a little bit kind of a little bit resentful and it's only, it's only me that's responsible for it. And if, if I haven't managed to do that for you know a week, two weeks, three weeks, because I've been giving that time to other people, um, I, I start to feel a little bit of a kind of, a little bit resentful about it thinking, oh shit, well, you know, what about me? Um, and ultimately I'm the only person that's in charge of that. So I've got to own it. And I think, well, I can't get pissed off with anyone else about that apart from myself. And, and I'm the person who controls it. I'm the person who allocates that time. So yes, I have to be accommodating. And particularly, you know, if you're talking specific deadlines with a sports person or with someone in the entertainment business where there's, a particular goal has got to be hit by a particular date and there's lots and lots of things riding on it. Okay. Let's, let's accommodate and let's flip some, flip some things around. Um, but now like I won't let that be to my own physical or mental detriment. And I, and in the past I have, I have absolutely done that. Um, you know, got to the end of a project and just thought I can't, you know, I can't do anymore. Um, you know, and, and, and actually the, um, one of the you know the biggest examples of that was that was that the TV series I mentioned. You know that was that was an intensive project, as you can imagine. You know, twelve weeks to train fifteen guys who were living all around the country. So lots and lots of travel, lots and lots of dealing remotely, and constantly like text messaging and phone calls and emails and you know trying to communicate information to people who didn't really understand that. And you know, so it's fifteen different training programs, fifteen different diets, like. The whole, the whole shebang. I was, I was the conduit of all of this information, 
and of course everything's getting filmed by by a tv crew so it's got to be right uh you got to have the results no one can get hurt they've got to win the game they've all got to lose weight for the tv show they've all got to be able to take their shirt off at the end and look much better than they did it stuff all of that stuff all of that pressure um but at the same time me trying to think well i've still got to have a business after this because this show finishes in 12 weeks in 10 weeks in eight weeks uh, and I still need to have something to come back to. So I was trying to do that whilst still be a personal trainer to other people and, you know, and still trying to write articles and create content and respond to media requests and all like all of these other things I was trying to do at the same time. Um, because I was thinking, shit, like what, what if something goes wrong? Like what if, what, what, what if it doesn't happen? And what suffered was, my own health and fitness um, and my mental well-being. I came to the end of that and it was fantastic and that, you know, we won the game and it was, you know, the TV show is a huge success and it got the, it won awards and massive audience share and, and everybody loved it. I got to the end of that. I am done. <laughs> like I, yeah. I have nothing left to give. Um, and it said, it's, we, you know, wonderful things came out of that. And we, we've made a second season. The second season is comes out in two weeks here in, in awesome. the UK. So it's all, all very, all very timely. Um, so that's, it was, a, it was a wonderful experience and it gave me huge exposure and I got to work with some childhood heroes of mine. Um, but I absorbed every single bit of that pressure all the way through that. One of the deliverable of the end goal, which was they must win. Otherwise I'm going to look an idiot. <laughs> because I'm the one responsible. Um, so I know, and this is, it's not a real time, a live show, but it's, you can't fake this. Like they're going to get on the scale. They're going to, we're going to have their composition measured. They're going to do the fitness test and then they're going to play a game. They're going to play a game in front of a full stadium on TV. So, you know, if they can't finish the game or you know, they look stupid, I'm the one that's responsible. And that was, you know, I, I, I felt that like I, I really did. But at the same time, as me thinking, well, that game is on Saturday night. On Monday, I need to go to work, and I need to, still need to have clients to see. So I've got to keep them happy too. So um, it was that was a real like infiltration of my own boundaries and my own kind of well being, um, and really made me pay a lot more attention to that. Um, and going forwards, when I take on a project, like I won't take on another one until it's done. Um, whereas previously, like I had, I used to have three, four things going on at the same time and be terrified of like, well, I can't say no, I can't say no. Cause what if they don't want me again? Um, now it's like, well, you know, I now have the confidence to say, I'm very flattered to be asked, but I can't do that because I'm, I'm fully committed to something else right now. Um, but I'm available in four weeks. So, um, yeah, no, go ahead. Well, yeah, be- because I, I want to still make sure that not only do I do the best thing, the best job that I possibly can on that particular project, but that I also sleep at night, that I also, you know, have at least a day during the week where I do something else. Um, you know, where, you know, I have some time in the evening where I can just go for a walk or go and watch a film or, you, you know, go, go for dinner or whatever, go and go and do something else. Like I want to, I, I, I now am very protective of that, of that kind of downtime as it were. Yeah. Well, do you think with that, can you give us some examples of how you say no? And I know that seems like such a silly question, but we talk about <laughs> the value of saying no and boundaries so much, but 
I find that it doesn't always help people, including me. You know, I'm always trying to find creative ways to politely and respectfully say no. You know, right now I have yeah. I have a, a thing, an email autoresponder <laughs> that basically says, hey, just a heads up, due to current circumstances, which is basically my doctorate and major projects I'm working on. I don't really go into that, but I just say due to circumstances and commitments, I'm only checking email once a week. And I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be able to get back to you in a timely fashion. If it's urgent, you know, do X, Y, and Z. Otherwise, please just know it's a boundary I'm setting to try to serve you better over the long term. Um, you know, I got a Zoom request the other day. It was like the 15th one. And I'm not, that's not a brag. That's just saying that right now there's this proliferation of it. Um, it was like the, the podcast listener said, and I just said, hey, I, I'm really sorry, but I just can't right now. I have to really double down on my commitment to my family and my business. And what I've just learned is some people get really mad. That guy got mad. He was just like, well, I just thought yeah. good. And, but, and so that happens. So can you give us some strategies and, and more importantly, ways that you say no, that might be able to help the audience? Yeah, I, I absolutely, I absolutely can. So much so that I, I actually have um, four of these. Oh, yes. PDF yes. Saved, on, saved, saved on my desktop. <laughs> um, and uh, and it's, I've got a, this document titled how to say no that, you know, I wrote to myself, which sits there. Um, that I, ref- that I refer back to, um, and, and, and I just, I don't, I try, try and be a little bit more personal than, than just, than, than just pasting something out of this. Um, but yeah, I, I, I make it's, it's right in the center of my desktop because I, I have to refer to it. Um, and I, I say, say no examples. Thanks for thinking of me, but I'm afraid to say no on this occasion because, um, Number one, I make a conscious decision to focus on the opportunities where I can make a big impact to many people's lives. So that will, that is my say no to here is somebody who just wants, here is a potential personal training client or, you know, uh, athlete who wants strength and conditioning and I just can't accommodate them. Um, I will be very clear of saying I, I, it's not to disrespect what they're doing. What they're doing is important and is important to them, but I'm focusing on trying to, trying to, trying to scale my message. Um, and I, I then have another one with regards to media. So I only undertaking media and speaking opportunities that help me to reinforce my position as an expert in human movement and performance and able to take the science to the masses. Um, and again, I use that if it's a media or speaking opportunity that I feel is too, uh, is too niche. Um, if, or if I feel that its audience is not necessarily reflective of the audience I want to talk to. Um, and I have one for, product endorsements, which is, you know, again, not, not a, I don't, I don't mean this to be a, a, a brag in any way, no, no, but no. It's, 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 it's a reality. It's not, yeah, it's just a reality. Yeah. yeah whether it's you know, whatever, a, a, you know, a particular type of fitness equipment or a supplement or, or whatever. And it's just a straightforward saying, I don't believe in the quality credibility of this product. Um, so I'm not the right trainer for you. And, and I, I have that written out and it's saved. Um, and I, every time I go to my inbox, I, I go through a process, I open the PDF, I have the PDF open on my screen and I go through and I sift through and it's there. I don't, I don't go and read my inbox and then think, ah, should I refer back to my saying no examples? Um, no, that comes first. So my process, every time I check my email, I open that, it's there on my screen and then I go through and I systematically, I, you know, I do open and I do respond to everything. I have an auto respond as well, which is kind of, is it like it buys me some time. Um, but I, I do respond to everything. Um, <clears throat> but that's, that's my system. And I'm, I'm now quite ruthless with that. So I have my filter of saying, does this fit into one of my three buckets? Does it help me? Uh, is this a, um, 
an, an opportunity for me to educate people within the industry and elevate the standards? Is this an opportunity for me to convey my message in a digestible format to the masses? Or is, is this a particular uh, private project that I believe in and I relate to and is going to, and is going to challenge me? Um, you know, I want to work on private client work that's going to challenge me intellectually. Um, if the answer is no to any of those, I, it's, it's a no. Um, and as, as heart-wrenching as that might be sometimes, me thinking, well, this person sounds so nice, you know, they, they, they sound awesome, or here's someone I really, really want to work with. But if it, doesn't, if it doesn't fit into one of those three buckets, it's a no. And then I, you know, I have my list of ways of saying no, and I apply and just and try and soften it slightly by saying something nice at the end. But that's kind of, that's my, that's my process. Um, as, as, as cold and clinical as that might sound, that's kind of, that's where I'm at. But here's the thing, you know, one thing I've learned is that, and thank you for sharing those, by the way, like practical strategies. I mean, audience guys, that's on you. If you feel like you've listened to this whole thing and you still don't know, like pony up, you know what I mean? Like he just gave you some clear cut examples, but what one thing I've learned is I know, I know a lot of these things sound harsh, but it goes back to what we said about accuracy, completeness, and context. You know, listen, the reality is that sometimes people reaching out just have to understand. You know, they, I mean, they have to put themselves in people's shoes. I mean, I think we have a huge tendency to take everything so personally if we don't get what we want. If we don't get credibility, completeness, if we don't get acknowledgement, if we don't get these things right away because you know and one thing i told a friend and he's a dear friend i mean that it's not a it's not a colloquial term you know one time he had asked me he's like hey mate you know can you spare five minutes and do this now you know i I just said to him i'm like i'm sorry i can't right now and he gave me oh he's like oh conscious coaching land so busy that you can't do that and i'm like well one you know while i love your smart ass humor you need to understand that it's not just you reaching out to me you know, right now yeah. I, you know, again, this isn't shortly after we had our son and I hired my wife on and somebody else. And then we had 20 other people cause this virus just hit. And I'm like, you got to understand, man, it's not just you. It's all these other people. And right now I'm just overwhelmed. And eventually he cooled off a little bit and was like, Hey, you know, I'm a jerk. I forgot about that. And like, I realize that you're under the pump, but sometimes these people like quit getting so inflamed. If somebody says no to you, I reached out to a professor one time. Uh, one of the leading researchers in the world in psychopathy, because we were doing some interesting stuff uh, on one of the courses we did. And the guy just wrote back, he's like, hey, I'm not doing podcasts at this time. He wasn't a dick. You know, he just said, I'm not doing podcasts at this time. Reach out in the future. Yeah. And, even, and even if he was just saying, hey, I'm not interested, your podcast is too small, because at the time we had just kind of started, you know, now we have over 50,000 downloads a month and we're grateful for that. But I didn't take that personally, because you know what? I've been there and I get it. So guys, if you get a no, just understand that sometimes it's like, we're just saying like we're trying to do something else and it's not a big time thing. I think that's a phrase that really needs to be, you know, scrutinized a little bit. This whole idea of big time, it's not big time to create boundaries. It's, it's just, it's having priorities and having some values around it. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, there, yeah, there is. And and actually it's uh, around the, you know, and this is, this would be aimed at anyone who is, who is wanting to, who's wanting assistance. If you, if, if somebody's listening, who is one of those people who, you know, sends the email or the DM like that and thinks, I'm not getting the response I want. My suggestion would be um, be succinct and to the point in what you want. Um, and you're much, certainly certainly for me, um, you're much, much more likely to get the answer. If I, can, if I can quickly see in the first line or two what somebody wants, um, 
and it's going to take and, and I can just quickly give them a one-liner response and I think okay you want to know the answer to a specific question here is your specific answer I'll, I'll do that you know I'll, I'll do that what you know, bless their hearts the people who who put the the huge amount of context around everything that they're asking with the you know with the two or three paragraph introduction about you know why they've chosen to ask me and 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 you know the the entire history of the, their shoulder and their you know what particular sport they were doing when they did it and how much they love that sport and how much it means to them. like if i have to read two or three paragraphs to try and find out what it is that you want um it's it's less it's just going to get i'm just going to park it and and that's and and that's the that's the truth of it um even though I guess it might be a little counterintuitive to people to, to think, well, maybe is it just rude to, to write a, a brief, succinct email straight to the point? Um, I personally don't find that rude. I find that really helpful. No, um, well, if somebody yeah. wants, yeah, if, if somebody wants a question a, a, a answered, and they are, they are, yeah, be polite, but be, be succinct and say, I, I would like to know this, um, and I can I can answer a specific question rather than if somebody says, my shoulder hurts. What can I do? Like. That's not a that's not a succinct question. It might it, it might you know there's there's no specific answer to that because I don't I, I don't I don't really know. Um, so if people can ask something very specific and it's very clear to me what it is that they're asking, fantastic. hundred um, percent. And and to your point, Luke, don't bury the lead. Like what I what I did literally right before this call, somebody shot me a request on an email, and I happen to have my email up. And right off the gate, I said, "Hey, please please don't mistake the brevity of the response for disrespect." I'm just short on time. Here's a quick thing. And so I just let them know, you know, and so uh, same thing. If I reach out to somebody, I say, you know, dear so-and-so, please forgive, uh, you know, any lack of uh, formality, even though I, I do call them Mr. Or Professor or whatever it is, right? Please, please, or, you know, you can think of another way of saying it of, you know, please, please excuse any detail, lack of congeniality. I just know you're very busy and understand I'm trying not to take too much of your time. Here's what I'm looking for. Here's here's why I, I'm asking for it. And here's what I'm willing to give in return. Now, that's just me. I'm big on reciprocity. Yeah. And I think I'm so used to, at times, people being takers. I just know it's that Maya Angelou quote, uh, Lou quote of trying to be the change you see in the world. So uh, I'll give them the context. I'll give them what I'm asking for. Get right to it. Uh, tell them what I'm willing to do in return. Because, of course, I don't want them to feel like it's a one-way street. And, guys, just like Luke gave you some great ways to say no – if you want that, don't forget at Art of Coaching, we have a full guide that gives you scripts. If you're reaching out to like a mentor or somebody asking them that kind of a question, just go to artofcoaching.com backslash find a mentor and we give you that. And I think what Luke's giving you here, he's giving you like absolutely amazing tips on this, even things that I've learned and, and written down. So Luke, within that, where else can people go out of respect to your time to find more <laughs> about you, to engage with the things that you put out educational and otherwise, how can we help? Um, well, my website is is kind of is home based for everything, which is just Luke, LukeWorthington.com. Um, my social media handles are at LukeWTraining. Um, that's Twitter, Instagram. Um, I'm I'm not big on Facebook, to be honest. Um, I, I I try and limit my time on there, um, but most content will be will the, my website is the conduit to the whole thing. Perfect, that helps. And guys, as always, that'll be in the show notes, Luke. Is there anything else you want to leave people with? You've been more than gracious with your time. This has been nice for me to chat with you and get to know you again. First time we've ever spoken. So just thank you. I, I want to say that. Um, but is there anything else you want to leave us with, brother? 
I'm, 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 I'm good. No, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for the, 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 you know, the, the in-person conversation. It's, uh, it's been great. You know, I, uh, I love your work. Love, you. love what you stand for. Um, and yeah, it's great to be a part of it. Appreciate that. And likewise, man, I, if there's anything I can do to support, and I don't say that as a platitude, you know, I'm here guys until next time. This is the Art of Coaching Podcast. Thanks so much for joining Luke and I. We look forward to having you again soon.